0: SECTION 26 OF INVISIBLE LINKS This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Reading by Lars Rolander. INVISIBLE LINKS by Selma Lagerlöf Translated by Pauline Bancroft-Flack Downey part three one evening thin soft clouds are floating in the sky one evening all is still and mild one evening the air is filled with fine white down from the aspens and poplars it is quite late and no one is up except uncle theodore who is walking in the garden and is considering how he can separate the young man and the young woman for never never in the world shall it come to pass that moritz leaves his house with her at his side while uncle theodore stands on the steps and wishes them a pleasant journey is it a possibility to let her go at all since she has filled the house for three days with merry chirping, since she in her quiet way has accustomed them to be cared for and petted by her, since they have all grown used to seeing that soft, supple little creature roving about everywhere. Uncle Theodore says to himself that it is not possible. He cannot live without her. Just then he strikes against a dandelion, Which has gone to seed, and like men's resolutions and men's promises, the white ball of down is scattered. Its white floss flies out and is dispersed. The night is not cold, as the nights generally are in that part of the country. The warmth is kept in by the great cloud blanket. The winds show themselves merciful for once and do not blow. Uncle Theodore sees her downy. She is weeping because Moritz has forsaken her, but he draws her to him and kisses away her tears. Soft and fine, the white down falls from the great ripe clusters of the trees, so light that the air will scarcely let them fall, so fine and delicate that they hardly show on the ground. Uncle Theodore laughs to himself when he thinks of Moritz. In thought he goes in to him the next morning, while he is still lying in his bed. Listen, Moritz, he means to say to him, I do not wish to inspire you with false hopes. If you marry this girl, you need not expect a penny from me. I will not help to ruin your future. "'Do you think so badly of her, uncle?' Moritz will say. "'No, on the contrary. She's a nice girl, but still not the one for you. "'You shall have a woman like Elizabeth Westling.' "'Be sensible, Moritz. What will become of you if you break off your studies and go into trade for that child's sake?' "'You are not suited to it, my boy.' something more is needed for such work than to be able to lift your hat gracefully from your head and to say thank you my children you are cut out and made for a civil official you can become minister if you have such good opinion of me Moritz will answer help me with my examination and let us afterwards be married not at all not at all What do you think would become of your career if you had such a weight as a wife? The horse which drags the bread wagon does not go fast ahead. Think of the girl from the bakery as a minister's wife. No, you ought to engage yourself for at least ten years, not before you have made your place. What would the result be if I helped you to be married? Every year you would come to me and beg for money. "'You and I would both weary of that. "'But, uncle, I am a man of honor. "'I have engaged myself.' "'Listen, Moritz. which is better, "'for her to go and wait for you for ten years "'and then find that you will not marry her, "'or for you to break it off now? "'No, be decided. "'Get up, take the chaise and go home before she wakes.' It will never do at any rate for a betrothed couple to wander about the country by themselves. I will take care of the girl if you only give up this madness. My old friend will go home with her. You shall be supported by me so that you do not need worry about your future. Now, be sensible. You will please your parents by obeying me. Go now without seeing her i will talk to her she will not stand in the way of your happiness do not try to see her before you leave then you could grow soft-hearted for she is sweet at those words morris makes an heroic decision and goes his way and when he has gone what will happen then scoundrel sounds in the garden loud and threateningly as if to a thief uncle theodore looks about him is it no one else is it only he calling so at himself what will happen afterwards oh he will prepare her for Moritz's departure show her that Moritz was not worthy of her make her despise him. And uh, when she has cried her heart out on his breast, he shall so carefully, so skilfully, make her understand what he feels, lure her, win her. The down still falls. Uncle Theodore stretches out his big hand and catches a bit of it. So fine! so light, so delicate. He stands and looks at it. It falls about him, flake after flake. What will become of them? They will be driven by the wind, soiled by the earth, trampled upon by heavy feet. He begins to feel as if that light down fell upon him with the heaviest weight. Who will be the wind? Who will be the earth? Who will be the shoe, when it is a question of such defenseless little things? And as a result of his extraordinary knowledge of Nossel's popular stories, an episode from one of them occurred to him, like what he had just been thinking. It was an early morning, not falling night as now. It was a rocky shore, and down by the sea sat a beautiful youth, with a panther skin over his shoulder, with vine leaves in his hair, with thyrsus in his hand. Who was he? Oh, the god Bacchus himself! On the rocky shore was Naxos. It was the seas of Greece the gods saw. The ship with the black sails, swiftly sailing towards the horizon was steered by Theseus. and in the grotto, the entrance of which opened high up in a projection of the steep cliff, slept Ariadne. During the night the young god had thought— is this mortal youth worthy of that divine girl? And to test Theseus he had in a dream frightened him with the loss of his life if he did not instantly forsake Ariadne. Then the latter had risen up, hastened to the ship, and fled away over the waves without even waking the girl to say goodbye. Now the god Bacchus sat there smiling, rocked by the tenderest hopes, and waited for Ariadne. The sun rose, the morning breeze freshened, he abandoned himself to smiling dreams. He would know well how to console the forsaken one, he, the god Bacchus himself. Then she came. She walked out of the grotto with a beaming smile. Her eyes sought Theseus. They wandered farther away to the anchoring place of the ship, to the sea, to the black sails, and then, with a piercing scream, without consideration, without hesitation, down into the waves, down to death and oblivion. And there sat the god Bacchus, the consoler. So it was. Thus had it actually happened. Uncle Theodore remembered that Nozzelt adds in a few words that sympathetic poets affirm that Ariadne let herself be consoled by Bacchus. But the sympathizers were certainly wrong. Ariadne would not be consoled. Good God! Because she is good and sweet, so that he must love her. Shall she for that reason be made unhappy, as a reward for the sweet little smiles she had given him, because her soft little hand had lain so trustingly in his, because she had not been angry when he jested? Shall she lose her betrothed, and be made unhappy? For which of all her misdemeanors shall she be condemned? because she has shown him a room in his innermost soul, which seems to have stood fine and clean and unoccupied all these years, awaiting just such a tender and motherly little woman. Or because she has already such power over him that he hardly dares to swear, lest she hear it. Or for what shall she be condemned? Oh, poor Bacchus! poor uncle theodore it is not easy to have to do with such delicate light bits of down they leap into the sea when they see black sails uncle theodore swears softly because downy has not black hair red cheeks coarse limbs then another flake falls and it begins to speak it is I who would have followed you all your days. I would have whispered a warning in your ear at the card table. I would have moved away the wine glass. You would have borne it from me. I would, he whispers. I would. Another comes and speaks too. It is I who would have reigned over your big house and made it cheery and warm. It is I who would have followed you through the desert of old age. I would have lighted your fire, have been your eyes and your staff. Should I have been fit for that? Sweet little Downy, he answers, you would. Again a flake comes and says, I am so to be pitied. Tomorrow my betrothed is leaving me without even saying farewell. Tomorrow I shall weep, weep all day long, for I shall feel the shame of not being good enough for Moritz. And when I come home, I do not know how I shall be able to come home, how I can cross my father's threshold after this. The whole street will be full of whispering and gossip, when I show myself, everyone will wonder what evil things I have done to be so badly treated. Is it my fault that you love me? He answers with a sob in his throat. Do not speak so, little downy. It is too soon to speak so. He wanders there the whole night. AND TOWARDS MIDNIGHT COMES A LITTLE DARKNESS. HE IS IN GREAT TROUBLE. THE HEAVY, SULTRY AIR SEEMS TO BE STILL IN TERROR OF SOME CRIME, WHICH IS TO BE COMMITTED IN THE MORNING. HE TRIES TO CALM THE NIGHT BY SAYING ALOUD, I SHALL NOT DO IT. THEN THE MOST WONDERFUL THING HAPPENS. THE NIGHT IS seized WITH A TREMBLING dread. It is no longer the little flakes which are falling, but round about him rustle great and small wings. He hears something flying, but does not know whither. They rush by him, they graze his cheek, they touch his clothes and hands, and he understands what it is. The leaves are falling from the trees, THE FLOWERS FLEE FROM THEIR STALKS, THE WINGS FLY AWAY FROM THE BUTTERFLIES, THE SONG FORSAKES THE BIRDS. AND HE UNDERSTANDS THAT WHEN THE SUN RISES HIS GARDEN WILL BE A WASTE. EMPTY, COLD, AND SILENT WINTER SHALL reign THERE. NO PLAY OF BUTTERFLIES, NO SONG OF BIRDS. He remains until the light comes again, and he is almost astonished when he sees the thick masses of leaves on the trees. What is it then, he says, which is laid waste if it was not the garden? Not even a blade of grass is missing. It is I who must live in winter and cold hereafter, not the garden. It is as if the mainspring of life were gone. Ah, you old fool! This will pass like everything else. It is too much ado about a little girl. End of Part 3 of Downey From Invisible Links by Selma Lagerlöf Translated by Pauline Bancroft Flack Read by Lars Rolander